we've all witnessed plastic pollution in one form or another. But while plastic pollution is a global problem, plastic itself is actually a useful and effective material. So how bad are plastics for the environment and how can we reduce their impact? Traditional plastics operate this massive scale. Uh, it's extremely efficient and cheap. And that's why we have this problem. It's sort of an unintended consequence of delivering food and products and packaging in such an efficient way is that we didn't really think too hard about what would happen after that use. Welcome to the Sustainability Podcast. I'm your host, James Gifford, Head of Sustainable and Impact Advisory at Credit Suisse. And Rob Kaplan is founder and CEO of Circulate Capital, where he invests in opportunities diverting waste from the environment into the recycling chain in South and Southeast Asian countries. A few years ago, some research came out that found that most of the plastic that gets into the ocean leaks from countries here in South and Southeast Asia. And as 2018 rolled around, that whole topic just blew up. And suddenly it was a top priority for CEOs and governments and consumers all around the world. And that's you know, really why we created Circulate Capital, to jump on that opportunity to address a real critical environmental problem, but also to do it in a way that unlock financial returns. We invest both downstream and upstream, as they say. So we're looking at investing a lot of capital in um, the recycling supply chain in South and Southeast Asia, which is where we've been talking about sort of the, some of the greatest needs. There's a generally held belief that the best way to reduce plastic pollution is to reduce the amount of plastic we manufacture and use. Now, an argument could be made that we don't need to eliminate plastic, but instead ensure appropriate plastic disposal to minimize its negative impact. When you look at the sea of plastic waste across the world, it shouldn't be seen as a wasted material. This should really be seen as a commodity, a commodity that has value. And if we can translate that into a functioning commodity market for plastic waste, we'll be able to eliminate the negative impacts on both the people and the planet. That's Dominic Charles from the Mindaroo Foundation. Dominic leads No Plastic Waste, an initiative that's dedicated to eliminating the negative impacts of plastics. What are most plastics used for? Packaging is the, you know, the single largest application for plastics. Something like a third of all feedstocks go into, into packaging. And the reality is that like, they're responsible for most of the negative impacts we see today. So it's the mismanaged packaging that ends up in the environment. It's the, the leaching of packaging chemicals um, that present the biggest problems with health. It's the burning of plastics packaging at the end of its life that you know, creates the, the, the carbon emissions problem. Our latest report, Plastic Pollution, Pathways to Net Zero, takes a balanced view on this topic. We have two of its authors, Livia Heinzmann and Sina Dorna Muller, with us to discuss the report's findings. Sina, tell me about this new report that's just been issued by Credit Suisse Centre for Sustainability. So we just published the plastic pollution report, and I think we tackle a very interesting topic because it concerns us all. Each year, there are 350 million metric tons of plastic that become plastic waste. And out of these 350, 22% end up as plastic pollution, so mismanaged plastic. 
plastic leakage accounts for about 6% of annual plastic waste and is arguably the most damaging to the environment, with impacts on climate, biodiversity and social dimensions. Livia, why is this topic so important? Since 1960, the use of plastic has increased by almost 5,000%. Annual mismanaged plastic or plastic pollution has increased fourfold between 1990 and 2020. Without additional policy action, by 2060, there could be more plastic than whale biomass in the sea. And did the report find any geographical differences between where plastic pollution is found? So interestingly, OECD countries and non-OECD countries use approximately the same absolute amount of plastic per year. However, when thinking about the waste that is mismanaged on a global level, almost 90% of this originates from non-OECD countries. China and India are contributing 22% and 11% to the global total, respectively. What is also interesting to mention is that there has been estimates that nearly 90% of the plastics entering the ocean comes from just 10 rivers, all located in Asia and Africa. So are ocean plastics the main focus for plastic pollution? I think just looking at the plastics problem as a kind of niche ocean plastic pollution leaves out other negative impacts. So you also have the negative impacts on human health. Some of those are kind of known knowns. So you know, the burning of plastic you know, at the roadside um, in many of these Southeast Asian countries. Um, you also have the, kind of the known unknowns. So how microplastics, which is you know, what the plastic waste breaks down into over time, how they can be vectors um, for, for different toxic chemicals. And then the unknown unknowns. So you know, what kind of nanoplastics, which even the kind of the smaller than microplastics might do um, as they kind of cross into kind of different organs. And we also need to look at the, the, the climate impacts, not just on the marine environment, but from uh, the entire life cycle of plastics. How's plastic related to carbon emissions? So we look at the scope three emissions from the entire kind of fossil fuel extraction chain from production through to you know, in many cases, incineration, um, you have a big contribution to the, the climate change agenda. But it's not all bad news when it comes to management of plastic waste, right? No, thankfully, not all plastic waste is mismanaged. Almost half of the global plastic waste is actually collected in sanitary landfills. Then there's also controlled incineration as well as recycling. In March 2022, the United Nations Environment Assembly initiated negotiations for a global plastics treaty to end plastic pollution. Sina, what's the significance of this? This is extremely exciting because it could result in the most significant sustainability-focused multilateral proposal since the Paris Agreement in 2015. And we all know how much movement the Paris Agreement pushed for the climate debate. In terms of mitigation, talk us through some of the mitigation strategies and their likelihood of success. So mitigation strategies basically mean finding ways to reduce the demand and production of fossil-based products. It could be increasing the cost of plastic through taxation or also legislation. So this year, England is planning to introduce a ban on a range of single-use plastics this October. Then there's also other measures to, for example, increase the lifespan of plastic products so you can use them longer, or also the development of bioplastics. Sticking with the mitigation strategies, according to the United Nations Environment Programme, approximately two-thirds of countries have adopted some form of legislation to regulate plastic bags. While legislation that restrains plastic demand mechanically lowers the plastic waste intensity of GDP, it doesn't necessarily guarantee better outcomes for people or planet. 
Livia, could you give us an example? We always need to be mindful of uh, unfavorable secondary effects that the measures we take could have. There have been studies showing that if you mandate the reduction of plastic food packaging, for example, this could actually lead to greater food spoilage. So research has shown that sending just one kilogram of food waste to landfill has a similar carbon footprint than 25,000 half-liter plastic bottles would have. There's a study that shows that a cotton tote bag has an overall impact that is 20,000 times larger than a plastics carrier bag. So that includes climate impact, but also other negative externalities from, for example, cotton production. So you're saying that a cotton tote bag has the same environmental impact as 20,000 single-use plastic bags. So mitigation strategies come with significant trade-offs. Sina, what about adaptation strategies? The report says improving waste management infrastructure would be the most cost-effective way to better manage plastic waste. With improved standards of living and rising population, plastic waste will increase. And we can't only mitigate, we also have to adapt. And adaptation strategies include, first of all, improving waste management infrastructure, because that way this would be the most effective way to adapt, because it has also the best cost-benefit profile. And then next to this, there are two other adaptation strategies that are worth considering. One is recycling. It's a very hopeful promise to just recycle a lot of plastic. In the end, 40% of the plastic that's collected for recycling is later incinerated or landfilled. So it doesn't really halt the promise that it first suggests. And then there's also plastic removal, which uh, can be a route to take, but it involves high costs. What is plastic removal? An example would be if we think about the actual leakage of plastic into the ocean, that there are technologies to collect these plastics out of the ocean. It should be the last choice of adaptation, and it would be better to start tackling this problem at an earlier stage of the chain. Do we have a blueprint for where these adaptation measures have worked successfully? The treatment of plastic and the adaptation in OECD countries is pretty good, where just 6% of plastic waste is mismanaged. And there is a need for measures to make this happen in the non-OECD countries as well. The circular economy aims to extend the life cycle of products through sharing, leasing, reusing, repairing, refurbishing, and recycling existing materials and products for as long as possible. We need to meet the needs of the future by using the resources we've already extracted from the environment and not needing virgin extractives anymore. And so this approach aims at like bending the curve to transform supply chains away from the linear system of take, make, waste and into a circular system where new products are almost entirely dependent on existing materials as opposed to virgin materials. Rob Kaplan says this circular economy as an adaptation technique will lead to opportunities. But do we even need a circular economy if we can just have good waste management systems? I think we've seen um, across the U.S. and Europe that our, even our best waste management systems cost us a lot of money and don't always work very well. And then when you, you can really compound those problems exponentially when you look at Asia. And I think what we've started to see that the opportunity we have here is not only that it's a huge environmental problem, but it's actually... Uh, a critical opportunity for economic development, for job creation. And we can really leapfrog where we've been in the US and Europe from saying, oh, this is just a litter and a waste management problem. Let's build lots of landfills or incinerators, which is how we basically manage that, that problem in the West, 
to saying, yeah, actually, this is an opportunity for, a, for impactful investment returns, both financially and socially and as well as environmentally. So what's on the horizon for new technologies in this area? The big area that's upstream around uh, preventing plastic pollution before it even starts is in the innovative material space. So things like biopolymers that are using bio-based feedstocks instead of virgin extractive feedstocks, and that reduces the carbon footprint of that package, but it also makes it much more likely to be compostable at its end of life, and so that it can enter back into the environment in a safe way. The biggest one at scale is called polylactic acid, or PLA. It's made mostly out of corn and starch. There's an up-and-comer called PHA that people are very excited about. There's a number of companies that are using lipids or fats, um, so like cooking oil and things like that. We invested in a company that has a bio-based phase change material that can be used as an insulation product, so essentially a replacement for styrofoam in your cold chain or other logistics uses. And it's better performance than styrofoam. It's reusable for a longer period of time, and it's compostable at the end of its life. Dominic, what are the challenges for these new innovations? Today, what's really preventing a lot of those opportunities from being realized commercially is just the economies of scale enjoyed by fossil fuel-based plastics. I think that's where there's a lot of policy thinking um, about the kind of unintended consequences of that incumbent system. Is there a silver bullet solution? There's no way to just reduce our way out of this problem. We also are not going to be able just to waste management and recycle our way out of the problem. It's very clear that the answer is both. And uh, the research that I've seen has said, you know, we could actually reduce plastic into the ocean by 80% over the next 20 years. So it's not a short-term thing, it's 20 years, but only if we do both upstream and downstream solutions. So reduce and eliminate where we can and drive reuse and refill where we can, and then recycle and waste manage where we can. And that's really the pathway that I think, you know, is going to drive the investment return and the environmental and social impacts that we're looking for. So in summary, plastic is a very useful product for society, but it has externalities and we really need to reduce its impact. Now, the single most effective way to address the issue of plastic pollution is better waste management. So the biggest challenge is how do we help developing countries put in place these systems so we can reduce the worst of plastic pollution. Thanks for listening today. Hit that follow button on Apple or Spotify and check in with us every month. That's the Sustainability Podcast by Credit Suisse. information provided herein constitutes general marketing material. It is not investment advice nor otherwise based on a consideration of the personal circumstances of the addressee, nor is it a result of objective or independent research. The information provided herein is not legally binding and it does not constitute an offer or invitation to enter into any type of financial transaction. The information provided herein was produced by a member of Credit Suisse Hereafter CS with the greatest of care and to the best of its knowledge and belief. The information and views expressed herein are those of CS at the time of writing and are subject to change at any time without notice. 
they are derived from sources believed to be truthful and reliable. CS provides no guarantee with regard to the completeness and accuracy of the information and, where legally possible, does not accept liability for any direct, indirect, incidental, specific or consequential losses that might arise from making use of the information. If nothing is indicated to the contrary, all figures are unaudited. The information provided herein is solely for information purposes and the exclusive use of the recipient and is not intended and should not be construed as legal, accounting, tax nor financial advice provided by CS. If this material is issued and distributed in the US, it is by CSSU, a member of NYSE, FINRA, SIPC and the NFA, and CSSU accepts responsibility for its contents. Clients should contact their sales representative and execute transactions through a Credit Suisse subsidiary or affiliate in their home jurisdiction, unless governing law permits otherwise. This material is intended for institutional investors only, not for retail distribution. It may not be reproduced, neither in part nor in full, without the prior written permission of CS. Important information for investors in Germany. The information and views expressed herein are those of CS at the time of writing and are subject to change at any time without notice. They are derived from sources believed to be reliable. CS provides no guarantee with regard to the content and completeness of the information. If nothing is indicated to the contrary, all figures are unaudited. The information provided herein is for the exclusive use of the recipient. Copyright Credit Suisse All Rights Reserved.